Welcome to the PBO Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Your host here, E. Vanderbilt, with his trusted canine sidekick, Woody, where we bring you the news raw, unfiltered, and with no chaser. And welcome to another episode of the PBO Podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. E. Vanderbilt here with, of course, his trusted canine co-host, Woody. Hey, wouldn't be the same without Woody here. Woody, how you doing? Woof. Can we just get on with this election already? Well, Woody, unfortunately, we're going to have to wait. Maybe even a lot longer than just Friday. Uh, we're hearing a lot of different things, ladies and gentlemen. Um, hearing that the state of Georgia could announce something on Thursday, November 5th. If you've already passed November 5th when you listen to this and they didn't, well, now you know. Uh, there are some rumblings that we'll hear some stuff on the Friday at the end of the week. There's stuff up until November 12th that we probably won't know. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot of outstanding ballots, too, because what's not factored into a lot of this conversation is military ballots. Some of those haven't been counted. So we are all up in the air with the election of 20. 20. Now, if you were listening to my previous podcast, I called this the rise of the lazy voter. And it really is. The people who uh, can't get off their ass to go actually vote in person have decided to vote this year. Now, I'm going to push aside the pandemic stuff, okay? Because that's why they allegedly, I say that loosely, sent out these mail-in ballots because they didn't want people to go to the polls and catch the virus, the China virus, and die. Even though only 0.000651% of the population has died from the coronavirus. I'm sorry, I misspoke. The Chinese virus. So, no, I'm not talking about the people that are just, that vote normally and are scared to go to the polls. You are not the lazy voter. You go to the polls every every four years or every two years. You are a a, a good citizen. You are performing your civic duty. But those who haven't voted in forever because they just can't get themselves peeled off the sofa to go vote in person. Or, and then there's the one, my favorite, right? This is always my favorite. You hear this almost every year. Well, the weather looks like it's going to be bad. That could affect turnout. Really? Weather? So it's going to rain. When it rains, people don't go vote. Because <clears throat> what are they going to do? Are they going to melt? Is that what's going to happen? Again, I'm not here to offend anybody, and I'm sure I'm offending some people because maybe you're one of them that uh, hadn't voted ever, and this year you decided to vote. Great. Great. Now, how about in the next cycle, you get off the sofa and you go vote in person? How about you make a commitment to vote in person? It's not that hard, and it actually feels really good. Now, I get people that travel I get some people have to do the, um, they re request a mail-in ballot. Now, when you request a mail-in ballot, you've got to go through an identi identification process. <clears throat> this mail-in voting process was no, it was loosey-goosey. There was no identification process. Allegedly, people are matching signatures. Let me tell you about matching signatures. So I went to vote in person on November 3rd. And by the way, because so many people decided to vote early, 101 million people voted, decided to vote early, there was literally no one there to vote. Literally. The only people there when my wife and my son and I showed up were poll workers. That was it. There was literally not one person there because everybody early voted. So <clears throat> I get it. If you now are motivated to vote, great. I hope you continue to do so. But I, it just, 
frustrates me when I hear people who will say that I'm ill, it's raining, I can't go vote, it's raining. What are you going to do? You're going to melt? What? What, 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 does, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, we should do whatever we can to get out to the polls in person and vote. So what the government has done, the leftist government, by the way, most cases, this is the left, the left was one driving these mail-in ballots. They send you a mail-in ballot and whoa, you don't even have to get off your sofa. I guess you have to get off your sofa and go drop it in the mail, but eventually you got to get off your sofa and go buy more soda and chips, right? The rise of the lazy voter. So let me get into, again, some more updates on what's going on with the election. And uh, then I got some more I want to go into with the rise of the lazy voter, because right now that is where we're at. We will not know anything anytime soon. But as I've said on the previous podcast, <clears throat> that if Trump can maintain his lead in Georgia, it's North Carolina, Pennsylvania, uh, and win either Nevada or Arizona, he wins the election. That's, that's all it takes. Now, I say that's all like it's, you know, a small hill to climb. It's a huge hill to climb because right now in the state of Georgia, if you go to the state of Georgia's website, they've got the numbers there. Uh, and here's where the numbers are in the state of Georgia. 49.5% of the vote in for Donald Trump 49.2% of the vote in for Joe Biden, and 100% of the counties and precincts have reported. That's on the Georgia uh, Secretary of State's website. Now, <clears throat> it says these are unofficial totals. Totals may not include all absentee and provisional ballots. And the last story I saw about Atlanta was that they had about 3,600 votes left to count. That's it. And they may be releasing some stuff later today, today being Thursday, November 5th. Now, if you go to North Carolina's website, the same thing. Donald Trump is at 49.98% to Joe Biden's 48.57%. And again, precincts reporting 2,662 of 2,662. So we should be knowing these. So if Trump can hold the lead in those two states and win in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is all over the place. There's going to be lawsuits in Pennsylvania. That's going to take a long time. Pennsylvania, we won't know until November 12th, probably. Uh, unless something drastically happens between now and then, that's, it's, it's going to be stretched out. There's going to be lawsuits. Pennsylvania is going to be the battle of this election. And I mentioned going into the election that Pennsylvania was going to be the state. And it looks like that's going to hold true. If, if Donald Trump can flip Nevada or win Arizona. And as I mentioned before, Arizona's still up in the air because some, you know, two entities have called it, most entities have not. And even the governor of Arizona says, whoa, not so fast, we're still counting votes. So if Donald Trump wins Arizona and or Nevada, uh, and there's a case to be made for Nevada, by the way, it's down about 8,000 votes. And um, Nevada um, has been hit really, really hard by the pandemic because it's a tourist state with Las Vegas and Reno. Uh, and it's, you know, those people in the service industry got hit really hard in Nevada. I mean, the, with the shutdown, they don't get money coming in. They're just on pandemic assistance. And, you know, some of those servers made a lot of money. It's nowhere near what they're getting on pandemic assistance. So Nevada, there was a, some stories, rumblings. Actually, the CEO of the Trafalgar Group, I saw an interview with him where he was saying Nevada is one to watch because of those workers, those service industry workers got hit really hard. And Biden's talking about lockdowns. But, you know, typically those were Repo Democrat votes anyway. So it's a long shot. 
That's where we're at. We're at a long shot right now with this election because of the lazy voter. Sorry, I can't get off of this right now. It just, it's just, it's sticking in my craw that we're in this position only because of people that normally don't vote, that are normally too lazy to go vote. Now, uh, because of the mail-in ballot, it was made all too easy and they are allowed to vote. So no, I'm not all for making voting easier. I'm really not. I believe strongly that they should show an ID. <clears throat> and I believe strongly that voter rolls should be purged if uh, persons aren't voting for extended periods of time, so they have to reapply for their voter registration. Uh, and going back to the signature thing that I mentioned earlier is when I went to vote, again, nobody there, I had to sign on the screen. I had to show my ID and I had to sign the screen. The, the poll worker took my ID and matched my ID to the signature. Now, the pen that I used to sign it, it was one of those digital pens, you know, with the soft tip that you can uh, um, sign on a touchscreen. Well, it, it, the little rubber tip came off and my signature on the screen looked nothing like the signature on my driver's license. And I said to the poll worker, I said, oh, you know, maybe do what you do it. And she looked at my license. She looked at me, no, no, it'll, it'll be fine. Yeah, so that's that's what's a lot, you know, that, that's how loosey-goosey our election system is. So, again, if you don't think voter fraud is happening, and I don't want to think voter fraud is happening, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole and my tinfoil hat and all that. I'm sorry, but there's just too many obvious signs that it can be happening. And, you know, maybe on a small scale, I'm sure, absolutely, actually, absolutely, I'm sure on a small scale, it is happening. On a scale large enough to swing an election, in this kind of election with how corrupt the Democrats are, wouldn't put it past them, ladies and gentlemen. I just have no proof and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But let's keep, let's talk about this um, voter apathy that we have in our nation. Again, it looks like we're going to have 67% of the electric voting this go round when normally it's in the high 50s. I mean, there have been some elections where it's been as low as 49%. So less than half, in some cases, a little more than half of the population finds en enough inside of themselves to get up and go vote traditionally, historically. Now, this is the first election where the mail-in ballot thing just threw everything off. Again, the rise of the lazy voter. But the lazy voter has always been there. I found this article. It's from Foreign Language Press Survey. Uh, and this is a national archive that was uh, from the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's a digital collection. was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's an article or a letter written in 1924. There's no author here. Uh, it's just, it caught my eye as I was just kind of doing some research for the lazy voter. Uh, in fact, the, uh, it's an editorial that was uh, released in 1924, August 10th of 1924. And the headline is, American citizens are too lazy to vote. This is in 1924. The American citizens are too lazy to vote. In 1924, the, election, the turnout for the presidential election was 48.9% in 1924. In 1920, it was 49.2%. As I look through this list, it is the lowest turnout in the history of presidential elections in the United States of America. Again, in 1924, only 48.9% of American citizens thought it was important enough to vote for the president of the United States. So this article caught my eye. 
Again, the headline is American citizens are too lazy to vote. Nearly one half, and this is from the article or from the editorial, nearly one half of the American citizens neither vote nor want to vote, not because they are not entitled to, but because they are too lazy and are not interested. You must not forget that the United States is a free country, a democratic republic. It's refreshing to hear that, isn't it? You know, we hear all the time about this is democracy, this is democracy. It is a democratic republic. There's a big difference. Again, back to the article, where the people do the governing through their representatives, and yet half of the citizens remain home and do not vote. And it cannot be said that only citizens who came here from foreign countries do that because they are not accustomed to the American ways and not interested enough in the political questions of the country. If you boycott the election, and not to vote is a crime, then the many born in this country are more guilty of that crime than the new citizens. Here's proof. In the 20, if the 27 million that voted are American-born, there still remains 21 million American-born citizens who do not vote. They are more guilty of this crime than the citizens who are not American-born. Why is it like that? Why did the American-born citizens show such little interest in the elections? This is an, an editorial from 1924. Well, and they, they asked the question, why do the American-born citizens show such little interest in the elections? Now, this article goes in a different direction that I, I'm going in. It goes on about making elections easier. It talks about how elections are held on Tuesday. That's a work day, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not really the problem or the issue. Why do the American-born citizens show such little interest in the election? So the article goes on, the editorial, I should say. This question is now being discussed in the Chicago press. It is also under debate at the conferences of various societies that take upon themselves the task of combating this situation. It is said that the citizens may be forced to vote. It is suggested to penalize those who boycott the election. A special educational campaign is underway to show the citizens the necessity of participating in elections and the importance of their helping, election, helping elect such a government as will best represent the interests of the people. Special clubs and committees are being organized for that person. It seems that these methods will bring very little results. So this article, this editorial from 1924, it calls out the citizens for being lazy for not voting and it calls out what methods you know maybe because it's on a tuesday maybe we got to make it easier but it nails it it nails that the people are too lazy to vote and now fast forward that was 1924 fast forward to 2020 okay 98 years or 96 years right if i got my math right now we've seen what happens when those lazy people are allowed to vote because they're right. You know, the question again, why do the American born citizens show such little interest in the elections? And again, the headline of this editorial, American citizens are too lazy to vote. Fast forward to today. Those lazy Americans have been given now the easy access to vote. And this is the result. The result is a senile old man at the head of the ticket who will not last a first term with the most far left member of the Senate as number two in the ticket, the farthest most left senator. 
out of 100, she ranks 100. She put out that ridiculous video a few days ago, two days prior to the election, that basically espoused communism. That we're not, we're all not given the let, you know, we're not starting all at the same point. We should be helped. I may be starting at a higher point than you. So it's all about the government helping you out. So this editorial, if the author, I'm sure, would be dismayed at what he sees, or she, could be a she, today. American citizens are too lazy to vote. I don't want the lazy, the lazy American citizens given easier access to voting. I don't want to help the lazy American citizen to vote. They, if they're lazy and they want to sit on their ass and watch things happen on the sofa, I don't care. I would rather them do that. I'd rather them sit there and watch their daytime television, watch The View, because they're getting all angry, but they're too lazy to get off the sofa, even though they're getting all angry watching those, those bats on The View. So here we are, and that are, I mean, again, that editorial, <laughs> Uh, I just, you know, they go on, like I said, to a spouse, make it easy, make it easy for people. Uh, if we want, this is from the end of the editorial, if we want the millions of citizens who now stand aside and do not vote at election to become interested enough not to be lazy to go to the ballot box, we must first of all abolish all obstacles in the way and make the election act as plain and as easy as possible. He had, or she had incredibly good intentions when they wrote this editorial but they had no idea what would happen when the lazy voter now here's the difference the lazy person today is a whole different person than 1924 you know it was hard to be lazy in 1924 life was hard compared to what we have i mean life is easy for us you know uh the air conditioning the the automobile is you know uh, accessible to so many people, cell phones, computers. There's no, you know, the lazy voter of 1924 is an entirely different voter of, of 2020. But the point is, do I want the lazy vote? Do I want to lower the obstacles for the lazy voter? And that one obstacle was uh, in-person voting on the first Tuesday after the first Monday every four years in November. And this is what happens when you allow the lazy voter to vote. You know, there's an article from the New York Times, voter turnout has been declining steadily since 1960. As I mentioned before, you know, 1928, 48%. So from the 1960s, voter turnout has declined. Now, why has it declined? You know, probably because of voter registration acts. You know, the, 19, the uh, Voter Registration Act or the Voter Act of 1965 made it difficult to um, uh, discriminate against people because now you had to put some places, you, there's some processes in place where people actually had to vote they had, or they had to register. So it made it a little difficult. It put a, it, I, you know, as the 1924 op, um, editorial went in, and it made it, it put up an obstacle. But 1960 election was one of the highest elections. 64% of the eligible voters turned out. And from there, it just kept going down. Until now, the lazy voter, all they got to do is fill out a ballot in the mail and put it in the mail. They don't have to go outside. They don't have to get wet if it's raining. If it's cold out, they don't have to worry about putting a jacket on. You know, if it's too hot, they don't have to worry about, oh, it's too hot. 
just crazy. Just crazy. Hey, a couple of things I want to, I'm going to switch back to um, the elections today and what, what, what is happening with the recounts and kind of what you need to look out for. Uh, this is from impact 2020 uh, website, uh, McClatchy DC.com. Uh, when candidates ask for recount, what do they, what to know about election laws in key States? So I want to just kind of wrap this up because we've got a crazy election right now because the lazy voter was able to go out there and sway the election one way or the other. And now, you know, it's changed the way, we have to look at everything. If this continues, and this is typically what happens in these kind of elections it, this, this, in our society, is this sets a precedent that you're probably going to see this again. This isn't going to be the first time. So now what presidential campaigns, what campaigns will have to do is they're going to have to reevaluate how they campaign and how do they get, ever, you know, how do they um, minimize or attract the lazy voter, right? Now, because now you got a whole different electorate coming out. So you had a, you know, I don't know the exact percent, but you know, let's say there's a a ten to fifteen percent difference in the people, the type of people that come out and elect, uh, that are elected officials, and they can sway everything because that's a pretty big number in elections. Ten percent is a big number. Elections are won and lost in the tens or the hundreds, sometimes the thousands, and those percentages are usually in single digit percentages. So if I got a ten percent new electric coming out. There's a 10% of these people have never voted before because they were lazy bums sitting on the sofa, eating chips, watching daytime television. Uh, now they're out. Now they're allowed to vote. So now you're going to see, and I, and I don't have the crystal ball what that looks like, but campaigns are going to have to reevaluate this. They're going to have to look at how, how do we offset this? How, you know, I think right now what the Republicans, what the Republicans have done, by the way, uh, this is, I haven't reported on this, and I don't have these numbers in front of me, but non-white votes are at an all-time high for Republicans this cycle. So Donald Trump was able to make a lot of headway in the minority communities. So the non-white vote is higher than it's ever been in any election. So now what's going to change moving forward is how do we, um, they, how, how do they campaign now when we know 10% of the electorate are going to mail in a vote? And how do you get them informed? Because again, if you ask anybody, that low information voter, uh, how many peace deals had Donald Trump uh, accomplished in the Mideast during his first term, most of them don't know. They'll maybe say one, two. They don't know that it's four. Four. He's, he's accomplished four Mideast peace deals. So the lazy, uninformed, low-information voter now has a bigger voice than they've ever had before. So if that is 10%, even if it's 5 6%, it could sway an election. So campaigns are going to have to figure out how do they offset that? How do they, how do they get that person... Uh, onto their side. That's a whole note. That's that's going to be debated for a long time, at least between now and 2022, and between now and 2024. But right now, where we're at is we've got Wisconsin, Michigan that are tight. We got um, not called yet. North Carolina, uh, Georgia, which are going to be very tight. We've got Pennsylvania, which already the lawsuits are flying. We've got Arizona and we've got um, Nevada. So we've got all these states are the states right now that are in, in con contest. So this article, when candidates ask for recount, what are the what to know about election laws in key states. So just so we're aware here, um, the campaign, you know, Trump has already 
asked for a recount at Wisconsin. So here are the particulars, the details for each of the states. And then we'll wrap up this segment of the PBO podcast. Uh, the state required, this is Wisconsin. The state requires a candidate to be within 1% of the winner to demand a recount. So according to Wisconsin election laws, the requesting candidate must pay for the recount if the margin is less than 0.25%. Now, in Wisconsin, the difference is 0.67%, if memory serves, but it's around 0.6-something percent. So they have every right to call a recount. So the Trump administration, I'm not sure if they've officially called it, but they've been saying they're going to call a recount for Wisconsin. Now, will it work? I don't know. Uh, the former uh, Governor Scott Walker has come out and said he's done it twice and it garnered very little results. And historically, they do garner very little results. But this is a whole different ballgame. So I don't know. If the Trump administration wants to do a recount Wisconsin, they have every right to do a recount Wisconsin. they got to pay for it, but they, gotta do it. They, can, they have every right. They're within their right right now because that race has been called. For Pennsylvania, a recount is initiated automatically if the margin is 0.5% or less in a statewide election. According to the nonprofit Citizens for Election Integrity in Minnesota, uh, which advocates for accurate and transparent elections nationwide, candidates can't directly file a recount petition, but they can appeal decisions made by the county boards computing or canvassing returns, and a court can decide whether it's necessary. So if, the, if Pennsylvania falls into 0.5% uh, or lower, it'll be an automatic recount. Other than that, they'll have to go to court. And we already know in Pennsylvania, the lawyers are ready and they're there. The, the Pennsylvania is going to go to court regardless. There's already been lawsuits filed. Whether it goes to the Supreme Court or not, don't know yet, but Pennsylvania will be in court. Georgia, <clears throat> candidates, <clears throat> candidates can request a recount if the margin is 1% or less. So the deadline for a request is within two days of the certification of results in Georgia. Results must be certified within 14 days of the election, according to the National Association of Secretaries of State. So in Georgia, uh, 14 days outside of the election, the results have to be certified regardless. So we're close in Georgia if it's not been called by the time I finish recording this. So in Georgia, it's the same as in Wisconsin. The candidates can request a recount if it's 1% or less. It doesn't get into who has to pay for it here. North Carolina, a margin up to 0.5% or 10,000 votes, whichever is less, is, is required for a candidate to ask for a recount. So in North Carolina, if it's uh, 0.5 or less or within 10,000 votes, the candidate can request the recount. The request must be made by noon of the second business day after a county canvasses votes. Um, so once it's certified, I guess that's when they could do it in North Carolina. Michigan, a recount happens automatically if the margin is 2,000 votes or fewer. ABC News reports, candidates can seek recounts if they can allege a good faith belief that but for fraud or mistake, the candidate would have had a reasonable chance of winning the election. That's pretty wishy-washy. That's according to Michigan state law. A lot of wiggle room there. So I, it's not going to be a margin within 2,000 votes in Michigan. And, you know, whether or not we get a recount in Michigan, it doesn't look so. And I'm not advocating for recounts. These are just the, giving you some details so you're informed. Arizona, a recount is triggered if the margin is within 0.1% uh, or if the vote is within 200 votes in an election with more than 25,000 votes. Candidates cannot request recounts in Arizona. So Arizona, it's got to come down to razor thin. 
I mean, we're talking razor thin, 0.1%. So if that vote in Arizona falls, it will 0.1% between Biden and Trump, automatic recount. In Nevada, the state does not have an automatic recount policy, but any candidate can ask for a recount. It must be requested within three business days of vote canvassing. So there you have it. Now, the Trump administration has said that they want a recount in Wisconsin. Obviously, they're going to pay for it. Uh, there are already legal battles that are going on in Pennsylvania. We still don't know for Georgia and North Carolina where they're going to fall. Uh, we don't know Nevada and we don't know Arizona. So it's all up in the air because the lazy voter had a powerful voice this election cycle. Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode of the PBL podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. And once again, if you are listening to us on Apple iTunes, please subscribe and give us five-star ratings. Helps move us up in the algorithm. And also our YouTube channel, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. So if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button down on the bottom. If you're not, go to the YouTube channel, Politics and Brown Liquor. Subscribe. Again, said it before, said it many times. You don't have to, lo- you don't have to watch. You don't have to listen. But when you subscribe, and you like, share, five-star rate, all that good stuff, whatever apparatus you're watching it on, listening to it on, anytime you do any of those kind of things, it just helps move us up in the algorithm and it helps get the show to more voices out there. And right now, what's, what's happening with big tech, how they're suppressing conservative voices, uh, libertarian voices as well, the only way to offset them, by the way, is to do exactly what I just said, to like, follow, share, subscribe, rate, because they can't do anything about that. They automatically push these kind of shows down. Every website uh, gets, or and every podcast gets a rating. And and the ratings are from those, you know, pencil neck nerds that work for these tech companies that are usually far left and all that. And I'm sure I just pissed off a few of them and they rated it lower, but they can't offset you liking, following, sharing, subscribing, and rating this podcast or this YouTube channel. When you do that, it moves it up in the algorithm and they can't do a thing about it. And I say this for all of the voices that you want to hear, all the conservative voices out there, libertarian voices as well, do the same thing with all of their shows, their channels, their podcasts, and it'll help move it all up. And then you'll see this explosion of voices coming from the right that the tech giants cannot suppress. So please like, follow, share, subscribe, and rate us to help move it up in the podcast. It helps the show and it helps get more voices out. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the PBL podcast, Politics and Brown Liquor. Because you are listening to this, you are not a lazy voter. <laughs>